Welcome to another Blue Jay Beat Wrap-Up Show featuring WhiteAndBlueReview.com's Matt DeMoranis. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning. Hopefully it's a good one anyway. Uh, everybody out there listening in, this is Matt DeMoranis from White and Blue Review sitting next to Johnny Atawa from the Omaha World Herald. Um, for the first time we get to do one of these after a home loss. Uh, we had a, quite a streak going, but um, today Creighton falls 72-71 to 5th-ranked Xavier at the CenturyLink Center on Saturday afternoon. Um, I mean, I guess we should probably just jump right in, maybe work backwards here, uh, because I think people are going to want to hear our take on um, what transpired in the final 4.6 seconds um, just with two... Pretty important calls favoring two teams um, that yeah. you can argue uh, handed Creighton the game on one end and then handed it back to Xavier on the other. Uh, I'll, I'll let you start. What was your? I guess we'll start with the Ronnie, um, the Ronnie three pointer. It seemed pretty. Uh, I don't know if you had a chance to see the replay or not. Or I've seen it. I so I mean I guess that one feels like thing. the I least just, debated one of the two. Well, I, I hate I hate I hate it when games are. One and lost on that. Yeah, I hate when we're talking about the offici- sure. officials. It's, it's unav- I think it's important for us to get it away, get it over with, that we can just talk right. about why it got to that point in the right, first right. place. It's so, unavoidable yeah. in this game because obviously in the final five seconds there were two foul calls that um, were important calls and, and debatable calls. Um, I think it was pretty clear that Ronnie Harrell got his arm hit mm-hmm. and touched. Mm-hmm. Do you call that? Most of the time on the on on a jump shot, if you're if a shooter's hand gets hit. Like the rules are different on the on the perimeter than they are in the paint. Like you you drive into the lane, your hand gets hit. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get the foul call. Right. Um, usually there has to be more contact than that. But on the perimeter, there's often touch fouls that are whistled. Mm-hmm. Are they whistled with five seconds left? I don't know. And I think that's the point of debate. That's I think, the gray area you jump into. Yeah. And, and, and I I I would honestly lean toward you don't call that foul, mm-hmm. but um, they did. And then with the Quentin Gooden play, my thing with oh, the sorry, first of all, my thing with the Ronnie one is, I don't know how much blew his contact, and there was contact. He did put his hand on his left elbow, which is non-shooting arm. Yeah, I don't know how much that affected the shot. So that's where I would lean towards if it were to happen in a situation like that, where but I that, could see it being a no call. Here, here's you know what I'm saying. saying. Like, I don't know what it, I don't know how it affected. Here's it. what I'll say about that, though. At any point in the game, any other point in the game, they're whistling that as a foul. Sure, because it it's it's so obvious. Yeah. Um, when when a shooter gets his hand touched, I mean, okay, occasionally maybe they'll no call that, but that, I feel like that's a seventy five to eighty percent, mm-hmm. maybe even more than that, maybe a ninety percent call that's made. Um, Especially on the elbow too, right? right. And I don't I don't even know that. if I I don't think I even like that call honestly. Right. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's so, non-shooting arm. You right. wonder why Blue was even but, touching that arm in the first place. Like, what are you even? Right. What are you even trying to alter at that point when you touch? When you when you make contact with that arm? Yeah. Because you're not affecting his follow through. But I think a, it's a I think it's a call that's made. Yeah. I mean, the rule regular. says the hand can't touch uh, the player's arm or hand unless the hand's on the ball. It's like it's. I mean, it's pretty clear. So to me, yeah, by the rule, letter of the law, that's a foul, and there's not much to debate as far as that goes. It's a good call. Um, based on the letter of the law, so I think the debate is just like 
the timing. Did, well, yeah, the timing and did it really did it affect, affect the anything. shot? Yeah. And I can agree. you make that determination in a split second by a referee? True. Um, I don't know, yeah. but I, that's what they're paid to do, though. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? We we can say like should you or shouldn't you, but that's like their one goal that day. Like right. that's their one job. Yeah. You know they don't have to worry about ball guarding I, ball screens and things like that. I they guess what I'm about. saying is if that game ended there, and that was the decisive play, uh-huh. we would be discussing it with the same amount of no question controversy involved i mean it just would have been that the heat and the vigor and the angst would have come from the xavier side than than mm-hmm. coming from the crane side but it's still now, it's so think, called it's like worth questioning whether or not it needed to be right. called now I will, I will i will roll out the second one for you but i do think if 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 the game had ended on that call seeing it in slow-mo and seeing the contact we would have been like there would have been enough of the people on the 50-50 side to say, yeah, he made clear contact with his arm. That's clearly a foul. Yeah. The only debate would have been the gray area where we just jumped into whether do you call that or not. Right. The second foul, which I'll let you go into right here, uh, since you almost did before, that's the one where the gray area is almost like the area where everyone's going to live and say, like, you shouldn't, like, there, it's, is it even a foul? Who is it a foul on? Why is that? called there like how did you see it from the vantage point of the official who called it like right. there's a lot of there's a lot to dissect when you jump in the gray area of that one yeah i think the gray area is just it's deeper yeah and uh murkier, larger murkier, murkier <laughs> in the in the second the case of the second foul with 0.3 seconds left obviously um everyone who's listening has probably watched the game i'm sure but didn't quinton xavier's point guard goes coast to coast and runs into a wall of of Ronnie Harrell and, and Toby Hagner. The question is is whether or not Ronnie Harrell got there in time mm-hmm. or got there late. Were his feet moving? Did he bump him? Did Quentin Gooden create the contact? Was there enough contact? Should the foul have been called? Yeah. With point three left. I mean, there's a lot of questions uh, and reasons to, you know, sort of open up a debate about that final play, which is unfortunate the game was decided on it, but mm-hmm. um, if you're asking my opinion... I Yeah, in real time, what did you think? I guess, because that's... Because right. in fairness to the official, we can dissect replays and we can slow everything down as much as we want, but that's not the vantage point they have. Right. They have real-time reaction. So in real time, what did you see? In real time, I thought it was a foul. Okay. I thought it was a foul because it didn't seem like Ronnie Harrell was set. Yeah. Um, the replay kind of looks like... Quentin Gooden is the one who initiated the contact, mm-hmm. but it's a tough call to make. Um, that said, it was a light foul, mm-hmm. and it was a play. You know, had that amount of contact happened at the three point line, I think, as I'm saying, as I said before, when you're sort of isolated that far away from the basket and makes a certain amount of contact, a lot of times it's easier for the ref to see it and blow a whistle. Um, closer to the rim. It, you know the physicality increases. Absolutely, that's what just it's, it's rare. It's rare yes. that you get a layup yes. without any contact in yes. basketball. Right. I mean, when you get when you go to the rim and you're going to have to finish because you're creating a 50-50 situation. Is the defender there first, and what is their legal right. guarding position? You know the verticality and all that. Like you're, there's going to be contact. And and I'm of the mind that in in a competitive game, a game that means so much to both teams, you don't you don't make that call in the mm-hmm. in the final seconds. I don't. I know what the rules are. Foul is a foul. I can get behind that, mm-hmm. um, unless the game is at. Um, I mean, the final play. You want, you you want, can, you, I don't want it decided by the refs. You want, you I don't want to even. We've talked about the refs for seven minutes now. Yeah. I don't want to ever have that discussion. I say you just I, let the players play, and uh, and it has to be egregious 
um, to to warrant a, a whistle to step in and, and decide the game like that. And so, and I don't think it was. I don't think it it met that. You know, it's a it's an, a subjective sort sure, of sure. rationale by me. Because uh, I, mean, I don't it's think it's from it. the official standpoint. You know, maybe the other two didn't wouldn't have made it. Like who knows? Like yeah, it's it's it certainly is has a an air of subject, subjectivity to it. I you know I'm glad I, my opinion on it is going to sound like a cop out, but from your vantage point, your courtside, I was up in the hockey press box. So yeah. from my vantage point, I did not think it was a foul in real time. But the reason I did not think it was a foul in real time was because I thought they called it on Toby Heitner, and I thought he was clearly. Yeah, he was fine. Um, obeying the rules of verticality, For and, sure. you know, he was a, he had established his position, and he jumped straight up. The arms didn't come down. Any of the things you look for in that situation for it to be a foul. So I only had the replay to go off of to see what they actually called. So they called a foul on Ronnie, and it's it's honestly bang bang to decide. It's not necessarily, and by the rule, it's not necessarily if he beats him to the spot. Is if is if he's in position. And Gooden's head and shoulders are past his torso, is how it's worded. That's when you when you read the rule, and you watch the slow mo. It's really hard to tell yeah. who's like where, what's what's head and shoulders past torso because technically he gets bumped by Ronnie's side. So is that past the torso? Right. Once you get hit by the side, like, and but then you see the other angle and Ronnie's moving back the whole time, so he's not necessarily even initiating contact. Gooden is initiating the contact, so. Is that just a no call then? If right. the offensive player is initiating contact, you just let that slide. Like, I honestly have no concrete opinion on it. I know, I know, I would lean towards what you're saying about not calling that in that situation because the contact is so. It's not lopsided. It's it's initiated by both sides evenly. I think, and I think when you're in that situation, that close to the basket, the contact being that. Um, like you use the word egregious, not egregious from a defender or an offensive player right. standpoint. You just don't call a charge or a block in that situation. Um, the other part of it, I think people have sh- like there's good in taking three steps, but I feel like the contact happens before the third foot hits down. So he's about to travel, but I think they called it before he did. And then him pushing off on Toby is the other one. He clearly pushes off against Toby, which would have been an offensive foul. But again, they whistled the contact before either of those two things happen. So I yeah. think those are. Those to me are off the table. I understand people want either a travel or a charge, but I think the contact that Ronnie and Quentin made with each other was before either of those two things happened. Right. So to me, they're they're washed out. It's all about to me. It was all about the contact between Ronnie and Gooden. And I think again, when you look at the rule book and the way it's worded, it's really hard to tell. Yeah. And so it's just that you know we're we're sort of nitpicking, and we have to we have mm-hmm. to slow it way down. Yeah. The replay right now is it a foul? Is it not a foul? We have to kind of have this discussion about, um, you know, the rules and everything. And and in my mind, it's too much. If we have to go down this path, it's not a it's not a foul. No, it's, it's okay. you don't make that call. That's what I'm saying. Okay, if, it, okay. if it has to go down this path, where, path where it's so debatable, mm-hmm. it it just can't be called. Where it's where you're looking at different angles. Right. And you're it has to it. be an obvious foul call. Like, okay. okay. It's like you know you had. That's that's sort of my thought. And, I understand. Um, oh, I mean, you know, as you're, a, as you're a, not alone either. The national media is all over it. Like, the, I mean, there's almost a unanimous that that's that was a horrible call. Right. And I'm trying to just, I'm trying to be more like, well, let's yeah, look at what they called sure. and why they had it. You know, because you have to kind of understand it from that perspective, not from 
not from while well, they they were clearly favoring Xavier over Creighton and things like that. You can't yeah, really like get into that, that whole thing. Like it was just a bad a situation where you either say bad call, good call, and live with it. Like I think right. I think I'll probably as I watch it, you know, again I'll probably say yeah, I don't call that there, but you know I'm of the mindset of I'm not the same mind as you. Is like I think there are different points of the game where you make those calls and don't make those calls, and That's, I feel like yeah. when you have the game on the line. And it's that close, you don't. You can't. But that's I understand again by the letter of the law why you do. Right. So that's that's how the result happened. Now let's talk about how we got to seventy to sixty-eight. You know what I mean? Like before right. Ronnie's foul and before Quinton's foul. Um, you know, really a tale of two halves. I thought Creighton was a lot better defensively in the second half. Certainly, numbers support that. Uh, Kyrie Thomas. At this point, I'm not really sure what else he has to do to wrap up the defensive player of the Unreal. year award. So, like, shut down <laughs> yeah, Trayvon Blewett. incredible. Like, he had nothing going today. Blewett has scored in double figures every game this year. Mm-hmm. And he, I think he's coming off 31 and 26, maybe? Yeah. Um, so, 50-plus points in his last two games. And he was 3 of 9 from the floor and finished with 6 points against mostly Kyrie Thomas. They're, against I, Kyrie, you know I, I watched it pretty well. I think I had it pretty good. I don't think I missed anything, but against Kyrie, he had 4 points Yeah, because 2 of 7 shooting, 0 for 4 from 3, and 2 turnovers. One so. was an out-of-bounds play against Kyrie. Mm-hmm. One was a switch on, on Marcus. Those were two jumpers that he had. Um, it was an incredible effort by, by Kyrie Thomas, and, and it allowed Creighton, I think, to... Uh, to more aggressively double the post, the post because you know it became evident as the game was going wore on that Kyrie was able to handle Blewett on his own. You know, for the most part, he had help at times when they ran plays for Blewett, but mm-hmm. or ran screens for him. Uh, but because of Kyrie's performance and, and his effort defensively, I think that allowed Creighton to kind of ratchet up its tactics uh, to take away what Xavier wanted to do through its bigs. And you're right, like, I don't know. From what I saw, like, I haven't rewatched it, but from what I saw, I thought Creighton, um, just its tenacity, toughness, that that was heightened in the second half. And uh, I think they started fronting the post a little bit more with Toby Heidner, and the doubles came with a little bit more aggression. I thought Creighton, from a help side rotation perspective, was better. Um, and Xavier missed shots. I mean, they missed. They, they, all they kind of made Xavier be a three-point shooting team in the yeah, second half. That's true. And, and Xavier missed the shots. Like they missed. There the were shots. some that were that were good looks, though. I remember Makura had a wide open three that mm-hmm. I thought for sure was going down. It rattled in and out. I think Kaiser Gates had Kaiser one. Kaiser Gates had a really was, good one. Yeah, that was wide open in rhythm that rattled in and out. Um, so it's rare, probably, that Xavier's going to be zero ten from three. Although you can make the argument that Creighton had the guys that they wanted taking those shots, sure. taking them. Yeah, if, you know, um, if you're limiting Blewett and Makira's off, essentially everybody else you have shooting three, you want shooting the three pretty right, much. Right, so. exactly. So um, it was – I think it was the, – the final number was 29 points on 35 possessions in the second half for Creighton. And that's good enough to win you a game. Absolutely. I, and yeah. I think that's why, honestly, you know, obviously the players and the coaches will be distraught and disappointed about the final call. But I think more than anything, that, that – that sting, the source of the sting, will come from uh, come as a result of watching like their defensive film mm-hmm. and just how much better they were in the second half. And I'm sure it'll hurt too when they have to look at what happened in the first half and and their inability to slow Xavier down then. But to make the adjustments necessary at halftime and you know to kind of fight and claw your way back into the game, largely with defense, um, 
and then to be up late and not close the deal, I think that's what hurts the most for this team. And I, and I think just to, to trail off that a little bit, also pretty impressed with, I don't know how you felt, but pretty impressed with, uh, you mentioned this thing. I think Ronnie and Marcus in postgame, considering what had just transpired and how they had just lost an opportunity, I was pretty impressed with how they kind of like just – their 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 ability to turn the page and in the their answers they gave maybe they feel differently I'm sure they do but they I mean, said the right thing they said the right thing and they really? looked yeah exactly yeah. and they looked like they were they genuinely thought yeah eventually we're gonna have to turn the page because if we worry about Xavier while we're preparing for I'm just gonna go ahead and skip over Mitchie no respect or preparing for Marquette uh-huh. who is a desperate team at this point that's gonna Marcus mentioned it's going to be one loss that turns into two and more, you know. So I thought as far as what you wanted, the answers they gave, as far as to those questions that how much does it hurt to lose in this type of manner to this team that, you know, now you're, you've been swept by Xavier, so it's going to be hard to pass them in the standings um, should it get to that point. I think, you know, they gave the right answers and they said the right things and it feels like they'll be able to reset. You want that out of a veteran team. You want to see that out of a veteran team that they're able to re- hit the reset switch quicker and not less necessarily dwell on things like, you know, like the 15-16 team seemed to dwell on losses and, yeah. you know, it hurt them in the in the end when they didn't get selected to go to the NCAA tournament um, when their resume didn't have enough enough meat to it. So, um, yeah, you kind of – as far as the answers they gave, you see that out of this group. So um, we'll see how they respond on the court as opposed to in the postgame. Um, presser, uh, and I just lost my train of thought on the other thing. But uh, the next thing, point I was going to make. But I mean, I felt like this was a game where Creighton had to make. You asked me yesterday, what do I think the keys to a Creighton win would be? And mm-hmm. I, I think I said eleven to twelve threes. They hit eleven. Um, it, I mean, as it turns out, result wise, twelve would have been the one to do it. So <laughs> yeah, you know, right. the, they did hit. In, they did hit in that range of threes, and they, they kept the turnovers to where I thought they should have them. Um, but man, there are going to be so many. You mentioned watching the game film and having regrets. There are going to be so many plays where they go back and watch this, where it's a one possession game, where a bucket gives them a lead, whether it's a two or a three, and they got a good look executed well and missed it. Yeah, there. I mean, there. There seemed like a ton of those where the crowd was just ready here's, to blow the roof off the place, right. and they just missed shots. Here's my you know here's I mean? my counter argument to it, and obviously Creighton, what they shot thirty two percent from three. So mm-hmm. they're better than that. Mm-hmm. I can I can get on board with it. So what is that? Maybe they make two threes different. I mean, ultimately that would have been difference in the game. But the worry for me, the worrisome part is is like their jump shots. You know, even if you're wide open in a game, there's no the percentage chance of you hitting that shot isn't as high as it would be. Obviously, if you're in getting to the paint and getting mm-hmm. getting uh, getting layups, which I feel like. That part of Creighton's game, especially against Xavier because of the way they play, they switch screens and they do everything they can to keep you in front of them. They've got length. They swarm on the ball well. Um, they collapse and, and they protect the rim pretty well. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least they did on Saturday. They don't have rim protection, but they have, like, paint protection. They do it with bodies, yes, yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, but so just Creighton's inability to get an easy bucket. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is we've seen it over the last, you know, since Martin Crumple went out. You mentioned how is their offense? What's their offense identity now without that rim pressure? 
And it seems like it's, it's essentially just like, let's hope Marcus Foster can bury a jumper. I mm-hmm. mean, or that he can create and open, maybe fracture the defense just enough to where, you know, he makes a pass and then maybe a couple other passes across. Maybe there's a ball reversal, um, a poor closeout, and you can take advantage of that. But mm-hmm. it's all it seems to be all centered on, on Foster, which isn't a problem. He's a capable player and a capable uh, creator. That's a nice way to put it. That's that's put it in a way. Yeah, it's a, but it's a capable guy. But it's just a tough way to live. Yeah, absolutely. Because you know no that um, even if you do everything right, you're still relying on, on a jump shot. A jump shot from um, whether it was Toby Hagner, Ronnie Harrell, Tyshawn Alexander. I think all those guys had looks, but um, it was a jump shot. Whereas Xavier, when you look at the way that they scored, I think I want to say it was their final twelve points came in the paint. But I'm not 100% sure on that. I'd have to go look at it. Okay. Um, it was, it was uh, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14. So of their last seven field goals, six of them came in the paint. And then they had the two free throws to win it. Yeah, and then good so, free throws to win it were also would have been pain points. They would have been pain points, yeah. yeah. So like, uh, there was a jumper from Blewett. But aside from that, everything else was at the rim, going to the rim. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing that we, you know, we brought up, we brought, we we talked about Creighton's defense, and while I thought they did ratchet up the intensity and they played better, the box outs weren't good enough. You know that they gave up to they gave up fourteen offensive boards. And it was that, a big one to Makira late. That was he got a free run to the rim, the go ahead bucket. Yeah, uh, to make it seventy sixty eight. That mm-hmm. I mean, I think it was Marcus Foster missed missed that block, that box out. Mm-hmm. Not one hundred percent sure, but which is tough to criticize. That, that's he had eight rebounds, so you figured like, yeah, you'll take that out of Marcus. Right. But there was opportunities there to to finish possessions that they didn't. And um, he wasn't the only guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, they gave up fourteen offensive boards. Yeah, uh, it's a season high by an opponent, and you knew going into this game, um, even though Creighton obviously is missing its top rebounder, and it's kind of it's been trending in the wrong direction um, from a defensive rebounding perspective. They had they had to do all they could to keep Xavier off the glass, and they just didn't do it. And it ultimately cost them, not just Mercurius. I think we said, we, I was, we, said nine of, we said nine of her rebounds were less yeah. yesterday, right? Right, and right. Four, just 14 is too many. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 21 second chance 21 points. second chance points. And I think um, the way I had it charted was that Four of Xavier's final six field goals were on second chance or second chance opportunities. Okay, so that's a lot, right? So there's four extra opportunities in crunch time. In crunch time, in the final um, eight minutes of the game, when you could have had stops and you didn't, mm-hmm. um, and and you gave up, you gave up buckets. And most of the time in second chance situations, those are high percentage looks like putbacks. JP McCurris essentially was a tip in, yeah, um, and. And you know that's a difference in the game. So and the other the other funny thing is, I think you know when you look at the modern way to play basketball and the the way people play the game now with its with with how much people value the three point shot and just the ability to have a three point possession and what that does as far as an equalizer or something that takes you to the next level. And when you look at what Xavier did in the paint versus what Creighton did on the perimeter today, obviously they were both lopsided. So Creighton is thirty three to thirty three to nine on the perimeter, so plus twenty four. Yeah, Xavier was plus thirty in the paint. So plus all the field, the free throws that they yeah. Had. So I mean, you mean I mean you, so you look at what Xavier Xavier you know kind of old schooled it, but it was effective because mm-hmm. Creighton was chasing them the whole time. Yeah, even though they were banging threes left and right, and Marcus Foster had a great second half, um, and Creighton hit I think. Oh, so they hit one fewer three on the same amount of attempts in the second half. So. Um, 
but yeah, six in the first half, five in the second. Like they shot pretty much the same way they shot in the first half as they did in the second. Essentially, you're just one three on the same amount of attempts. So, right. But Xavier in the paint, they just stuck to who they were. They didn't really worry about getting into a firefight with Creighton when they saw him banging threes and they realized they were getting, you know, when they realized Creighton was hot from the perimeter and they weren't, they didn't start jacking up shots to try to. To try to put the game away, they stuck to who they were. They kept pounding the ball inside. Chris Max said he wanted to get the ball inside even more. Yeah, which is hard, which is interesting, like to say because we thought from when you're watching it, you think that Xavier's just owning that side of side of the ball. Um, and when you get 50 points in the paint, you wonder how much more you could possibly get out of that situation. But yeah, they wanted to name there even more. They knew that that was their advantage. Um, you know, the matchups, no matter what Creighton tried to do, and they tried all three in the first half. They tried Toby, Manny, Jacob. They kept rotating them in and out. Like, there was just no answer one-on-one, and it was really difficult even when they were bringing double teams. Um, they obviously brought them more in the second half, but it was really difficult for Creighton's defense to handle anything in the paint, whether they were scoring right away or crashing the glass, getting the right. offensive rebound, and putting, um, you know, getting a second-chance point like they did. So that, yeah. was, that was a big part of it. I the mean, game. I hate to keep pointing to the fact that Creighton lost Martin Crumple, and it's a big deal, but it is. It's a reality now, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I guess the reality for Creighton is that, you know, they got to figure it out, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if if the team wants to reach the goals that it set out for itself, um, which largely are centered on March and extending their season past the first weekend of the NCAA tournament, mm-hmm. um, to do that, you're going to have to – you're going to run into teams that have more size than you, and, and Creighton's going to have to find a way, whether it's schematically or just from a mentality standpoint, to be uh, tougher inside – and uh, and to find ways to keep opposing teams off the glass, and ideally find ways to get easier high percentage looks, uh, mm-hmm. more high percentage looks um, for for guys, particularly who are not Marcus Foster, because there was a stretch as you said where Marcus, I mean, he was brilliant in the second half. I uh, I, I really can't and, complain I mean, about twenty point six rebounds in the second half. Any he part had, of his game, was insane. And he had a jump shot with a minute left that rattled in and out. Um, had it gone down, it would have given Creighton a 70-68 to 68 lead and ultimately might have changed the course of how the final minute unfolded. Um, it just rattled in and out. I mean, it was down and, and popped out. But, mm-hmm. you know, there was a stretch there where Creighton couldn't do anything, and it was just him, you know, maneuvering off. I mean, they were setting screens for him, and, and, and he was being clever about his spacing, and he'd just fire up jump shots and they'd go in uh you'd think oh that's kind of a deep tough contested shot but he had enough space to hit it and he's got the confidence to knock it down and he did um he i thought he did a pretty good job taking advantage of when xavier switched um a big man on him Mm -hmm. and some of those times he had to just settle for a jumper but when he's dribbling and pulling up in an in rhythm fashion uh, those are those are good looks for him and probably the best the best look that Creighton in this state that it's in was going to get yeah. uh, against Xavier on, on Saturday. So, but I think ultimately the concerns um, are, are are the same that I think we've had for this team for the last couple weeks, um, and they they were evident in a costly manner against Xavier. You know, mm-hmm. Creighton almost escaped with, with despite all of that, but right. um, you know ultimately. Ultimately, the Jays have a lot of work to do and some questions that that they need to answer. And it's, and it's interesting because I think I think the rest of the schedule, the way it sets up, 
they might not have a test the way, like the one they got today the rest of the year, maybe until DePaul comes in, I guess. You know, Villanova isn't really going to challenge them the way Xavier does. Villanova likes to, you know, bomb away from three just as much as anyone in the country. So I think Villanova's going to come in and try to make it a firefight. I think Marquette's going to come in and try to make it a firefight. Same situation with with what will go down in Milwaukee. DePaul is really the only team that I see is maybe going to try to exploit Creighton inside mm-hmm. uh, because I don't think the other teams that Creighton's going to play in conference play uh, the rest the rest of the regular season here are that's their identity. So we might not see Creighton play an uncomfortable game the rest of the regular season. So they won't they they won't necessarily get a chance to combat what they had to deal with today until you know until they get one of those matchups in the Big East tournament or NCAA tournament even Butler on the road I, I don't feel like that's a game where they might get beat up down low I yeah, mean but I, I Weidman's guess... playing better but Fowler doesn't really do that kind of yeah. stuff like he's just a dirty he's like he cleans up the messes yeah, you know? yeah like, I think I guess what you're saying is they might be able to survive it even, sure that's even... what that's kind of what I'm okay. saying yeah because but it's, but but it go but still your point remains when they get to March you know, we don't know what they're going to face. Right. So they might face <laughs> their, might, their, enti- their entire path to where they want to get might be full of matchups like that. So Kareem Cantor. Yeah, and exactly. You know? Yeah. So your, your point remains that, but the, 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 the only, I'm not really countering, I'm just saying they won't necessarily get a chance to experiment against that the rest of the way. Right. It doesn't seem like there's any matchups that, the, of the ones they're guaranteed to play, that they'll have to. You know, that you'll that you'll have an answer for you. Like, yeah, right. they figured it out. They they know what they have to do now. Yeah. So. Yeah, there's still that element though of of kind of like. I don't know if it's just toughness or um, uh, tenacity on the interior. Maybe it's literally just a technique thing and a mental focus thing mm-hmm. of you know boxing out and being in the right spot. But. They they have to play almost almost flawlessly. Feels and, like and, that, yeah. Uh, defensively, especially against Xavier, but I think even even against teams that aren't necessarily going to lean that are going to lean on their big men to score inside. I think um, everyone always has some aspect of their offense where they attack they try to attack the rim, and I think Creighton's just got to do a little bit better job of not just not just protecting it, but then also cleaning up on the glass because I I think some of the some of the things that that I saw at least on Saturday and Xavier were evident, maybe just not as blaring, as glaring or as yeah. blatant. Because Xavier can exploit that in ways no one right. else in the yeah. in the conference can. Absolutely, right. I totally agree. But uh, but yeah, so I think I don't know. <laughs> with all that said, with the kind of the flaws and the weaknesses that Creighton still has to find a solution for, I mean they were in a game against the number five team in the country, and, who looks and, like the number five team in the country this time. I, I think. <laughs> You know, two years ago they had number five Xavier in here, and I don't think Xavier was number five. I think they were kind of just, well, a bunch of teams lost, and you're left not to – you haven't lost yet, so yeah. here you are at five. Like I think Xavier is legit one of the top five to ten teams in the country for sure, and I think this was a huge test for Creighton. So, yeah, to your point that they were able to, you know, kind of get into a little bit of a slugfest where it was ugly and they had to crawl back and they had to get stops. They had to lean on their defense for a little bit for stretches because there was a point where – and you asked about it in the press conference – there was a point where – uh, Creighton went on a scoring drought. They didn't, you know, I don't know what it, what the stretch was officially. Seven, seven straight missed shots, and I think it spanned nearly five minutes. Okay. From like the eight-minute mark to the three-minute mark of the second half. Yeah, but the game didn't get away no. from them during that stretch. So they just, defensively. The problem was is that they had it, they were minus eight. Mm-hmm. They had a three-point lead, and they ended up being down by five after that. So, yeah. I mean, that to me was the difference. 
well, shoot, there's a lot of moments that were the difference Absolute, in the game. Absolutely. And like, like 30-30 like that, and that, that run at the end of the first half was huge that for was, Xavier. Right, to, yeah, it was like 13-5 to five or something. Yep, there are a lot of moments it. in a game like this that you can point to, and um, I think Creighton's offensive drought and maybe its inability to box out defensively are probably the two things that stand out to me the most. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, like... like, uh, isn't like, that, isn't like that to our larger point? Like, I think there's going to be a lot of focus on the, the call-no call. But I feel like there's there was like, eventually we got to get to the point where we analyze the last thirty nine fifty five point whatever it was. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, there were opportunities for Creighton a to build the lead, yeah, not dig themselves a hole, finish out possessions, close out, you know, finish defensive 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 possessions with a rebound that didn't happen. Where Xavier turned that into second chance points. Like, there's a whole bunch of stuff that led to this point where. A foul call did decide the game. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's the part where we have to kind of get to um, moving forward because you know they have Bemidji next, which I think, and, and I know they're going to get creamed for that because why do you schedule Bemidji State um, in the middle of February when you're trying to build an NCAA tournament resume? But I mean, I, I also understand why uh, why Mac does that because he doesn't like the extended break and they'd be facing one and then coming in. It actually coming it, in cold against a Marquette team who again is playing for a lot right it, now. It works out really well in Creighton's favor the way the schedule. I think it is too. Yeah, because, yeah. You don't want it. I mean, it would be tough to sit on this loss for a week mm-hmm. and to have another game to sort of break up the routine or at least to stay into a routine and break up sort of that um, that potential of falling into maybe a little bit of uh, feeling of that despair, agony, kind of disappointment. Um, Self pity. You can you have to turn the page because you got another game, mm-hmm. so it sort of forces you to quickly recover. So the way that the schedule lays out actually does, like you said, it works in Creighton's favor. And I think I don't know. McDermott has talked a lot about it. Obviously, it's a Division two team. They're going to win by a lot. It seems silly, but um, staying in rhythm and in routine with the season in the middle of February, I think, is what he he deems that. It, more important than um, than playing a competitive game, so it's better to just kind of have uh, you know you, you schedule practice on Sunday and Monday, and you go through the same pregame prep mode instead of um, instead of taking those days off or instead of like running through fundamentals where players can sort of mentally check out a little bit sure. or, or at least. Um, I mean, if you'd ask, at least take their foot off the gas pedal a little yeah, bit. Because as a player, you want to play games, right? You don't want that to. I, that's what that was my point. Is like if if I were a coach and I asked my players, "Do you want to practice or play a game, even if the game is against a Division two opponent that you know you're going to win, you're going to beat by a forty? Mm-hmm. What would you do?" They say, "Play a game." Play They're a playing game. a game. Exactly. So, yeah, um, yeah, the Bemidji game. It's it it is definitely odd, but I can I can understand the logic behind it, mm-hmm. um, and. Honestly, I'm I'm kind of surprised. It's kind of surprised that more teams don't do it. I mean, isn't it the reason why Alabama in football schedules like, you know, the FCS or the crap opponent right before uh, the all Iron the, Bowl? Yeah, exactly. Or, yeah. Really, all the SEC teams do mm-hmm. too, right? They yeah. um, they realize that the grind of the season can wear you down, and at toward the end, um, like you need just a you, real scrimmage where you're you doing want, the things. But you, you don't want to fall out of your. You don't want to no. just have a bye week. You don't no. want to fall out of your your rhythm. But you, but you also. Um, need a nice little easy boost, so mm-hmm. maybe that's what this game can can provide for Creighton. It certainly it certainly sets up that way, and I I know 
you know, I know all the criticisms that come with it, and I understand them for sure. And I think if you were, and I think if if Mac were an outside observer, he'd have probably the same criticisms. I understand that, but like, at at the same time, there's a week before the next Big East game, so they either will fill that with this game, or they will just sit around, get extra rest, and then get through. Like, they'll have a grind of. I mean, what was the Seton Hall game? They practiced what four days before that game, right? Because they had such a huge break. I think so. Yeah. And, you know, then then the criticism was they didn't have enough left in the gas tank at the end of the second half to finish it, right? So you figure at some point there's a wall you hit where you can only prepare so much for an opponent before you're, okay, we get this, we got that, we got that, and then you're just wasting energy at that point, right? right. So, yeah, with a game in between here where they can play and then get their rest and then get back to normal routine of playing a Big East team and preparing for a Big East team, um, it'll be another home game, so there won't be any interruption to the point where they have to waste a travel day on things like that. So I think it's it's going to be valuable. It's not going to be valuable to their resume, obviously, but it's going to be valuable for them to get out and play a game, a get-right game where they can just get a bunch of confidence going from up and down the roster pretty much. I mean, there shouldn't be anyone who struggles. So you, t- you figure the guys who are kind of fighting it a little bit should have, you know, have at least something to take away positive from that game yeah. and feel good going into Marquette. Particularly yeah. those guys uh, who are first-year players coming off the bench. I mean, Absolutely. Creighton is bringing three freshmen off the bench. That uh, need to be and, and they had seven big-time role yeah, players, they right? They had seven yeah. points uh, against Xavier and, mm-hmm. um, for Creighton to, to take that next step and um, kind of progress to the point that it, that it desires. I think you're going to need more production from those guys, and so perhaps they can – get some valuable confidence not just against Bemidji but going forward in the five or many games in the schedule mm-hmm. and I think the Bemidji Blue Jay beat will probably be a short one so uh, if you just want to <laughs> should we just jump into like what the the state of the Big East looks like at this point obviously Villanova got Butler back today after a f- poor first half they rebounded and played really well and got that W uh, to even that season series there's still a half game in the win column behind Xavier, if yes. I'm not mistaken. So Xavier's still in first place. Um, Providence got absolutely mugged at home by DePaul, so that narrow win by Creighton on the road doesn't look as worrisome as it probably did the other night. I'm sure some fans were like, why is DePaul pretty much playing even with Creighton? Well, DePaul went out to Providence today and waxed Providence, so don't feel too bad about that. St. John's won, beat Marquette, so they stay on a roll. Still the weirdest team I've ever seen in my life. I don't know how they're pulling this off, but they look like a top contender in the league all of a sudden. Um, and Seton Hall lost to Georgetown. Right. So this league continues to just be unpredictable on a nightly basis. How do you feel about where Creighton currently stacks in that mess? Um, fourth place, eight and five? Are they in fourth? I believe so. I believe they're still percentage points behind Providence. Okay, because Providence is what, seven and five? They are seven and four. No, nope, Providence is seven and five. Seven and five. Okay, I so, updated so yeah, so Creighton is in third place. Okay, half I, game ahead in the win column. I think the loss today to to Xavier sealed. The, they're not going to win the Big East. Right. Um, they're probably not going to finish second. So now it becomes a fight for third. Yep. Uh, because Xavier and Villanova, mm-hmm. they have two losses, and mm-hmm. Villanova has six games left, and and Xavier has has five games left and Creighton trails those teams by three games in the loss column it doesn't yeah. just it just doesn't seem likely as crazy and wacky as the Big East has been mm-hmm. this season uh, those two teams 
I mean, they're, they're top five teams in the country. They don't they don't really seem capable of, of dropping that many games to give Creighton a chance. So I think. And what did we say before this whole thing started? You not you cannot lose home games right. and win the Big East title. Well, today they lost their first home game and it effectively ended their run pretty much to the to that to that happening this year. So yeah. I mean, it's gonna unless Xavier and Villanova go absolutely in the tank. No one's catching those two, so have no. at it. Those guys right. have at it. And, and, and Villanova does have to play. Uh, Hall, they have to, they play Seton Hall on the Seton road. Hall. They play Xavier on the road. They yep. play Creighton on the road. Mm-hmm. So I guess, like, in a wild, well, I guess it's maybe not incredibly wild. They have to play get, Georgetown, which you're like, Georgetown. they beat them at 40 something the first time, but Georgetown's obviously a lot better now. Um, and they play at Providence as well. But it's like, so I guess it's. It's conceivable to maybe assume, since they did lose a home to St. John's, anything's possible that they could drop some games and Creighton could, if it finishes perfectly, um, could sneak in the second. But I, I just don't. But you have to bank on two of them doing it. You know what I mean? To win the league, right? That's, that's what you're saying. Right? Oh yeah, yeah to yeah, win the league. Yeah, no. yeah. So that's why I think it's out. Yeah, because mm-hmm. you both you need both Xavier, you need both Xavier and Villanova to collapse on the stretch. And yeah. Xavier finishes with four, uh, three of five at home, and it's two road games at Georgetown and DePaul. And yes, anything can happen, but. It just doesn't seem very likely. So I think sure. it's a two-horse race, and Creighton is going to battle for third place, which is... So are you rooting for fourth now since, like, the 3-6 game is the 9-30 Big East game? Oh, so for me personally? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. for fourth place? Uh, for the Big East tournament. So you get, like, a 7 o'clock start and then right. maybe catch the second half of a game before you go to I'll, back to your I'll hotel. manage, I'll deal. Um, any, any start after 8 o'clock Central Time is not preferred by me, <laughs> and I usually do complain and whine about it, um, but... I'll push through. So if if whatever whatever happens, I'll I'll just let it be. But yeah, it but does. The, but third seems like where they're, they're where they might land. If you look at the schedules remaining for everybody else and them, I think that should be the goal. Even, and, certainly and it favors yeah, Creighton when you look at right. the toughness of the schedule. Remaining. That's the goal. And you and if you finish third in in the league, um, you got a really good shot at earning a six seed in the NCAA tournament. And um, you know, it's obviously a commendable. A commendable season to that point, but but you'll have enough experiences and enough uh, enough moments to build off and, and reason to have confidence mm-hmm. going into the NCAA tournament that you can that you can uh, get what you want um, if you're Creighton. So we'll see we'll see how they we'll see how they do. Five games yeah. left, and uh, certainly doesn't seem like I, I think it's there. I think it's theirs to lose. Honestly, yeah. when you look at, I mean, I know they have to probably have to. I mean. They might get to a point where the Villanova game is like a huge game that they have to win, but I mean Villanova still has to play the other teams too. So it's not like anybody around Creighton. We already said Villanova and Xavier are untouchable, so it's not like anyone else below that line is going to go undefeated. You other than you St. John's, you, but like yeah. <laughs> it's not like anyone else is like has like a, a road to you the Big think. East where they would run the table. And you think, yeah, right. that team's just definitely based, just based on on the. Uh, level of inconsistency that we've seen from those teams that mm-hmm. are grouped around Creighton right now in the standings, it doesn't appear that um, any of them are capable of putting it together. But then again, you can make the same argument about Creighton. Yeah, Butler would be the only one you wonder because that's they still have one more. It's at Hinkle. Right. That's the one that has an opportunity to like literally play for that spot against Creighton. Yeah. Um, everybody else is, you know, it's Marquette twice, DePaul one more time, Nova, Butler. That's it. So. Right. It's crazy how fast this thing is rolling out. I mean, yeah, the, women are, the women's senior weekend is next weekend for crying out loud. Like, this <laughs> thing flew by. So, yeah, it's been a fun season, and um, it's it's too bad I think that Creighton hasn't been able to over the past two or three weeks capitalize on the uh, 
tremendous play by Marcus Foster. I mean, I think he should be under consideration for Big East Player of the Year, but it's hard to fully make a case when the team's 8-5 and five in league play and you got yeah. a guy like Jalen Brunson leading the way for Villanova who's in second place and Trayvon Blewett, aside from Saturday, today against That's Creighton, why, uh, yeah, do you think 12, been, Do you think, like, let's say 12-6, and six, do you think 12-6 and six is enough? For, if, for, he, if he continues to play like this, will that be enough? I mean, because I agree. With I'm you. a little, I'm a little biased because I see him every day. And, sure. But I like. I mean, I think all you got to do is open up the game film and watch the second half of this of this this game. Watch the second half of DePaul. Mm-hmm. Um, watch pretty much all of the St. John's game there. Um, he's he's literally putting the team on his back and carrying them. Yeah. And their teams are tr- doing all they can to slow him down. Uh, they're adjusting ball screen coverage. They're putting different defenders on him. Uh, they're trying to uh, they're trying to d- deny him the ball. You know, uh, shadowing. And he's him. the focal point of the uh, for sure. It's become that. Like you, you think about Creighton being complicated to, to defend. Like I said today, Xavier left a lot of guys, a lot of guys open for like to yeah go ahead and beat us. But we're gonna try to make sure Foster doesn't. He almost did in the yeah. process, which speaks to how good he really is and how with the kind of season he's playing because yeah, Xavier I, tried to take him away today and it didn't happen. I mean, if he keeps it's, – it's seven straight games of 20-plus points. Is that right? I believe that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I, it's hard to argue. Basically, since that scouting report got – since he got wind of that scouting report, he's been like a different level of player. Yeah. You know, today – and I don't know. I think there were six scouts on hand today, right? So right. you figure the big man – the big-time players that are watching today, of the two – you know, Kyrie defensively again showed off what NBA scouts love about him, and Marcus Foster, who you don't see on many draft projections, you know, kind of he continues he, to make a case. He kind of played. He kind of his game today. He kind of said, "Why am I not being, yeah, you know, projected to be drafted?" Like that's you know, he was incredible. So, so yeah, I think that, um, I think, I think he should be in the conversation, and I don't mm-hmm. think that it should be clear cut, clear cut Jalen Brunson has been the best performer um, in league play. And we'll see if Marcus Foster can keep it up. I mean, he's probably going to have to keep scoring at a rate of 25 points a game or whatever yeah. it is. Um, Not only for his individual accolade, but for Creighton to <laughs> for have Creighton, a chance. Yeah, yeah, for Creighton to keep winning yeah. um, and to pull off some, some key victories down the stretch. Yeah, he's going to have to keep it up. But uh, if he does, I think – I don't know what the number is. You know, you said 12 and 6, so they have to finish yeah, that. I don't know. Um, it just seemed it would just seem weird if you had you figure Trayvon Blewett's going to play well. He doesn't have to play Kyrie Thomas anymore, so you figure he's going to play well. Uh, and then you figure Brunson and and then Bridges you got a guy like Keelan, Keelan Martin who's uh, yeah who's been putting up thirty. He only has Kyrie one more time, so he's going to have <laughs> he's only going to have one more bad game the rest of the way. <laughs> Sorry, couldn't help it. He had thirty today against Bridges. I'm like, what do you like? They better not share Defensive Player of the Year. Like that's just silly at this point. Like he's the guy who locks everybody down. Yeah, and Bridges is just a guy who can. Chase you down and block your shot and make a play. He's got length. He does. Yeah. He's very good. I'm not saying he's not a bad NBA draft prospect. I'm just saying there's one clear-cut best defender in this league right now, and I and I feel like we watch him every day. So, again, that's my bias showing through. So, but, um, yeah. I don't know. I think that's all we really have to dissect from today. Yeah, yeah I mean, right? it, like I said, it's unfortunate that where you had to talk about the officials for so long, but yeah, that's but, it. it but I other still than feel that, like there was more to it. Like I, I understand that was, was the decider, but there definitely were other moments. And um, you know what? It, it was 
I mean, from an unbiased perspective, just a fan of the game, it was a lot of fun. It was a really good game. Up the until, crowd was crazy. Up until, five, up until five today. seconds left. Yeah, yeah. But it was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I bet both teams probably. Credit to Quentin Gooden, too. We didn't really talk about, I mean, for a sophomore, when you think about where he was at this point last year. Creighton wasn't guarding him last not year. Not guarding him at all. Yeah. For him to step up and, first of all, for him to um, even drive to the rim and try to be the game you know, the the hero of the game against, you know, what Creighton's obviously walling up and trying to stop that. And then to hit those two free throws when the crowd was as loud as I've heard it all year, like trying to be any kind of distracting force um, to get him out of his rhythm, that took some guts, you know? Like, Definitely. That's, for a sophomore to do that, that guy's going to be – He's going to be a hell of a player going forward in this league, you know? I mean, Most definitely, physically, man. he looks like he's got tons of tools. Like, that's, that's, he's an impressive, he was impressive today, I guess, is my point. Yeah, like, I thought he was the when Blue was out of, clearly out of the mix when Kyrie was taking him away, I thought Blue, I thought Gooden was huge early for Xavier to kind of get some offensive rhythm. Um, Akira was obviously making plays too, but I thought Gooden was probably their most consistent player on the day, you know, from, for, from tip to, from tip to obviously buzzer since he hit the game winner. So he did a good job of recognizing when he had opportunities to knife to the lane. He had a big bucket. I think he had the bucket that put him up sixty six sixty one. He did like blew it and uh, there was, it was a two man game with him and blew it in the so. corner. Right. Marcus stuck to blew it and didn't switch the ball screen. And then Gooden was like, "Oh shit!" There's got a, a, got there's a, a driving lane, but and I think all the way re- to the rim. I yeah. think he recognized those re- pretty regularly during the game. Yeah, and, he was very good. Um, yeah, 17 points, I think, is season high for Gooden. And that's the thing about Xavier and why when you brought up, hey, this team looks like the top uh, top five team in the country, I think it's because of their depth. I mean, yes, they have Clearly. go-to guys. They're the deepest team in this league by far. Yeah, they have go-to guys like Blewett and and Makura. But, I mean, they were they went eight deep, and I don't, I don't really – I mean, I guess Paul Scruggs, the freshman, is, is sort of a weak link. Um – yeah, he's not. A good, he doesn't seem like impact off the bench, right? Right, but for the most part, you got seven guys there that would start for anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, maybe not Nova, but <laughs> for pretty much everybody else in no, the league, point, and uh, and they're all capable of beating you if you give them the opportunity to do so. And and Gooden did. He he scored seventeen points, and he was yeah. he was huge for for Xavier, obviously. Yep. Well, I think that's all we can really dissect on that. Um, I think the Bemidji one will be decidedly shorter, so we apologize for the length of today's one, but there was a lot to talk about, obviously, um, with the way things transpired, uh, both at the end and throughout the 40 minutes. Uh, You know, mixed reviews on Creighton's performance, obviously, there's things they can correct, but, you know, for them to go down by one against a legit, I think think a legit top five, top ten team in the country, um, one that will be definitely a second... Um, a second weekend team in the NCAA tournament um, if they stay healthy uh, was was impressive in ways and the, but there's also things that going forward you want to see Creighton clean up a little bit to you know to shore up what they hope is an NCAA tournament run themselves so um, yeah until what Tuesday night right Tuesday uh, night check out John's work at Omaha.com buy a newspaper um, you know, you got he's got a wedding in June, July, July. 
Did he get moved? Gotta pay I got, the, no, I get the no, wrong? Just got it wrong. Sorry, that's my fault. I, I, I messed gotta up. Got to pay those bills. Yeah, so he's got a wedding in July. He's got to pay for it. So you got to buy. You got to buy newspapers. You got to help. You got to help him place his place his future wife. So, <laughs> um, and then when you're done with that, uh, fill in your obligation to journalism. Come check out our work at White and Blue Review uh, for free, but the quality doesn't drop off. We hope so. Um, until Tuesday night, we'll talk to you after the Bemidji State battle. Good night, everybody.